middle of a series right now, a series that we're doing in the month of March. It's called March Madness. And as I told you last week, don't worry, it's not about sports or basketball or anything like that. And uh, it, We're actually talking about the fact that living the Christian life sometimes can look like we're crazy to the world, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, there's, there's aspects of living our life according to the Word of God that the world might see as um, different and interesting and, and sometimes even to the point of thinking that we're just sometimes nuts. And uh, the, the purpose of this series is to challenge you, challenge all of us to live that life, that, we're, that we would want to live a life where um, our faith in God and our pursuit of God would sometimes look crazy to the world because they wouldn't understand because there's things about the principles of the Word of God that don't make sense to the world. And you know, this is a battle that we fight every day, isn't it? We fight it every day to, to decide whether or not we're going to be led by the principles of the word or if we're going to uh, kind of succumb to the pressures of society and try to just help our, let our faith kind of fit into that somehow, but not necessarily try to uh, stand out or ruffle any feathers. And that's a constant tension we face in our life. And it's a challenge for each and every one of us. And uh, this series is based on a verse out of the Bible. It's, it's based on one verse, uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. In fact, as I read this verse, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I know you've been standing a good bit, but let's stand one more time just in honor of reading the Word of God. As I read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, amen and amen and amen to that. The, the principles, the, the, the message of the cross that we live by is, is foolishness to those that don't know Jesus. But for those of us that do, it is the power of God in our lives. And last week I talked about uh, embracing our weakness and how that can be foolish, that we would want to be weak. But, you know, we know based on the word of God that we want to be weak because we know that that's where the power of God comes into our life. And so today I want to talk to you about having reckless faith. The title of my sermon today is Reckless Faith. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you today. Thank you for this time of worship that we've had together. Thank you for everyone that, that came out this morning to come to church. Lord, we just ask your blessing on the rest of this time that we have together. And God, I pray that you would take us to a level in our faith where we would be recklessly in, a, in reckless abandonment pursuing you, God. And I pray you take us to that place, Lord, and that you would do your work in our hearts today for your glory and for you alone, God. And we'll give it all the glory to you. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, before you're seated, elbow bump somebody and tell them, let's get reckless. We're doing the elbow because, you know, we don't want to spread coronavirus. We're not that reckless. Right? I already talked to somebody that said every hand she shakes today, she's spraying her hand with, and I'm not going to say who she is, but her first name starts with a Christy Ward. So, uh-huh. I just called her out. I could do that. I have the microphone. So... Um, anyway, sorry, I'm off track now. Here we go. Let's, let's start over. So in the 1700s, Alexander Pope coined the phrase, uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Many of you probably heard that phrase before. And uh, the premise of that phrase is that basically uh, that foolish and inexperienced, naive people will jump into something and, and, and rush into some situation where a person with wisdom and experience would stand back and, and kind of wait and count the cost before they do that. And, uh, you know, that's a, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of wisdom in that saying uh, in this world. Um, you, you could say that it would be foolish if you were to get a credit card offer in the mail to send that in and get your third credit card because it was such a great deal. 
even though you already have two credit cards that are maxed out and you're only making a minimum payment every month, right? Someone with wisdom would say, cut that envelope up, throw it away, shred it, do what you gotta do, but stay away from that third credit card. Uh, a foolish person would, would go into their boss's office on Friday afternoon to give them a piece of their mind because they had a rough week. When a, wiz, a wise person with some experience would step back and say, you know, you might wanna wait till Monday. Let's think about that for a little bit and make sure you count the cost before you do something that might cause problems in your life, you know? Uh, a foolish person would try to date two people at the same time, right? Wisdom would say that that's ridiculous because you're going to get caught, you know? It's, it's, it's especially foolish if one of the people you're dating is your spouse, all right? Come on now. Let's just, let's just date one person, especially if we're married. Let's, let's be real today, all right? Um, and, and don't just date them until you marry them. When you marry them, keep dating them. Amen. Yeah, that's free marriage advice for you guys today. You're welcome. But you know, the world would say that it's foolish to have reckless faith. You know, that we should temper our faith. You know, the, the, uh, the statistics say that, I don't know, somewhere between 80, 85% of people in the world believe in God. But you and I both know that that's not the percentage of people that actually really follow God, that really give their heart to him and trust him with their life. So the world will even say, yeah, it's fine to believe in God. You know, you can believe it in your heart, but don't do anything. Don't, don't live in such a way that your life hinges on that faith. You know, just, just have that faith as kind of a thing you keep in your pocket, almost like a good luck charm if you need it at times, you know, but don't really uh, live your life in such a way. The world hopes that there's a heaven. The world hopes that there is a God and that he's good and that he loves us. But us as believers, us as Christians, we're just audacious enough to actually believe it. We believe that there's a heaven. We believe that there is a God and that he's not only good and loving, but he also came and died for us so that we could live through him. That's what we believe. And if we do that, there's no place for us to really temper our faith, is there? But there's still that pressure in society and in our life to, uh, to, to not be real reckless in our faith, but to kind of, you know, take a dose of it here and there, but not necessarily let it permeate through every single aspect of our life. You see, the world doesn't have tolerance for risky faith because the, the society would say, you know, there's just too many problems in this world to really lean on faith. You know, your faith's fine, but, but when things get tough, you really got to just figure it out, you know? So the world doesn't have, have time for that because the world would tell us that, you know, those of us that really lean on our faith and really live a life of faith, that it just means that you're just weak and you can't handle trials and tribulation in life and you have to have some kind of a crutch to lean on. So you're just going to have to believe in some kind of a God that's not really going to even help you. That's what the world would say, and that's the pressure that's put on us at times. But you know, I'm gonna remind you this morning of the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians chapter two and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That pretty much crushes the tempered faith argument, doesn't it? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Everyone say, by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He is saying there's, there's no room here to temper our faith and to kind of dip our toes in the water a little bit and, and, and look at it some days and other days not. He's saying, I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. The only life I have is him living in me. And he's saying, but he says, he goes on to say then, but I still have this flesh. I still have this body, this shell that I live in for now. But even that life that I live in, I'm gonna live it by faith. I'm gonna live it by trusting him and giving him my everything. 
And that can be a difficult thing for, for us sometimes. It's, there's, it's a challenge in our life because our, our flesh, our sinful nature is programmed to just believe what we can see, right? To believe things we can understand or make sense of. But how many of you know that living your life according to this word, there's times it doesn't make sense, especially with our carnal minds and our fleshly minds. You know, I, I think about Thomas. When I think about faith, I think about Thomas, the disciple of Jesus. He was one of his 12 disciples and he walked with Jesus. He got to see all the miracles Jesus did. He got to see him raise the dead and open blind eyes and open deaf ears and loose tongues that couldn't speak and all these great things he did. And Jesus was very clear with his disciples that, you know, I'm gonna be killed, but after three days, I'm gonna rise. And so he heard all that. But when it actually happened and Jesus rose from the dead and he's revealed himself to some of the disciples, these disciples came to Thomas and said, Thomas, he's alive. And we know what Thomas said. He said, unless I can see him with my eyes and I can touch him, I will not believe it. And, you know, we can read that and we can roast Thomas all day and say, you know, how little faith he had. I can't believe he did that. But you know what? We do the same thing. I know I do the same thing. I've experienced miracles in my life. I've witnessed miracles of God that, were, that have been incredible, where there's no question that it was God that did it. And I've audibly heard myself more than one occasion in my life say, God, I will never doubt you again. Because whatever it was, there was such a strong, powerful presence of God. It was so obvious that only God could have done what had happened in that moment. And I said, God, I'll never doubt you again. Tears running down my face and, oh, God, you're so amazing. And I'll love you and I'll give you my life forever. And within a week or two, I'm back to the same old place where I'm struggling and I'm doubting. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, mm, was that really what happened? Maybe I just dreamt that, you know. We can rationalize it all day. And that's what Thomas did. But, you know, Jesus gave Thomas a wonderful, beautiful gift in that moment. Because we know that Jesus did see Thomas. And he went up to him and he said, Thomas, put your hands here. Feel my hands. Put your hand in my side. He said, stop doubting and believe. And you know what Thomas did? It, it says that he just worshipped. He said, my Lord and my God. And he worshipped him. And he believed in that moment. But then I love what Jesus said after that. Because that next thing he says is for all of us that didn't get to see him on this earth. He said, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. That's for us. He was given, he was given all of us that were going to be alive after that moment, this word of encouragement to say, you're blessed if you believe and haven't seen. Don't just see with your physical eyes, but believe. You can believe who he is because he is who he says he is. Second Corinthians 4 and 18, I wanna read this verse. This gives us a great encouragement too. This is from Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians. It says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Now that's the epitome of the title of this series. That is madness. Paul's literally telling us, don't look at the things you can see. Look at the things you can't see. That doesn't make any sense to the world, does it? To think, what, how can I look at something that I can't see? But he's admonishing us to do that in this passage. And the question is, well, how do I do that? Well, you do it by not looking with your physical eyes. You look with your spiritual eyes. You live your life through the windows of your spiritual eyes, not just your physical eyes. You know, just last month, Pastor Bowen did a whole series on living above sea level, about what, living above what we can actually see. The very next chapter in that book is where the Apostle Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight. 
We're not, we're not called to live by what we can see with our eyes. We're called to live by what we can see with our spirit, with God living in us. And see, this is the thing. It's a, it's, it is a struggle because the Christian life in many ways is a paradox. If you don't know what a paradox is, that's basically something that looks contradictory on the surface. But as you look into it deeper, you realize it's actually not. But there's many things on the surface in the Christian faith that look contradictory, don't they? There's, there's, there are tons of things. If you start looking at the Bible and you can look at that and just scratch your head and think, wait a minute. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I mean, Paul literally in Galatians chapter 2, he says that we're dead and we're alive. That seems like a contradiction. Which one am I? I can't be both. But we, as we follow Jesus and we live according to the word, we understand what that really means. You can be dead and alive at the same time based on what Jesus did for you. Uh, it, it, the Bible tells us that if we tithe, you know, the, the prophet Malachi, the Lord spoke through him and said, if you will bring me the tithe into the storehouse, I'll bless you so much. You won't have room in your barns to contain all of my blessing. But then he says, when Jesus was on earth, he said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So which one is it? It looks like a contradiction. Is God going to bless me or do I need to be poor? You know, we can look at that and think that, that there's a contradiction there. James, he said that we are justified by faith, not by works, right? But then he goes on to say that faith without works is dead. So which one is it? You know, there are many things that we look at in the word that could seem like contradictions that really aren't. But that's, this is what makes our faith so challenging. Because there's, we have to be very careful as we live this life and as we walk this walk that we're not just looking through our physical eyes. You know, in Hebrews, it tells us that faith without, I'm sorry, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Probably most of you know that verse, read that verse many times. You could easily look at that verse and think, okay, so if I want to make God happy, I got to have faith, right? Because he says to please him. I want to make God happy. I want to please him. So obviously that means I've got to have faith. That's not what that verse means. That verse is telling us, basically, you cannot live for God. You can't please God. You can't understand the principles of God unless you have faith because there are certain things that can only be seen through those eyes. There are certain things that you will not be able to understand just by reading and, and not looking through the spiritual eyes that God has given us. That's why we cannot please him without our faith. And the world will never understand this, which means that living our life according to faith and to really living that out in our life is always going to be countercultural. It will always be countercultural. We'll never be able to follow culture and live our life by our faith because it it's always goes against culture in our life. Romans 12 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And the second verse of Romans 12, the first part of it, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying here that you used to blend in with culture, but he's saying not any longer. No longer are we going to blend into culture. We're going to have, we have to work to make sure that our minds are renewed. Well, what renews our mind? It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the only one that can really renew us and give us what we're looking for in our life. I would even take this, this uh, verse a little bit further and say, don't conform any longer to the pattern of sub-Christians in the church. Ooh, I'm stepping on toes now. Here we go. Or don't conform any longer to the pattern of some of your family and friends who like to play it safe. We're not here to play it safe. We're not here to conform to anybody else's standards of how they live. We're here to conform to the word of God and how he leads us and how, how the, the life of faith looks according to the principles that we see in that. 
So if you got friends and family that are Christians, but they're just wanting to play it safe and not really live this life of reckless, bold faith, then you don't need to be conforming to that. We're not conforming any longer to these patterns. We're being renewed by the transforming of our mind, or we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind through our faith. So what I want to do today, I want to give you, we're going to take a little test this morning, or this afternoon now. And uh, I know some of you haven't taken a test in 40 years, so you're probably terrified right now, but don't worry. This is one that we can all pass. And if you're one of the youth, you're still in school, this is nothing, right? You guys have taken three tests this week already, so you're good to go. So I want to give us a little test today. I want to ask us a couple questions. It's kind of a litmus test for us to see where we are in our faith. Because I believe that the scriptures are pretty clear that God wants us to live a life of reckless faith, of being bold for him. So the first, the first test question this morning, it's not even really a question, it's just a, a litmus test here, is to check our level of obedience. It's the first one. What is your level of obedience to God? The health of our faith is directly proportional to our level of obedience. I'll say it again. The health of your faith is directly proportional to your level of obedience. This is where the rubber meets the road in your walk with Christ, is your level of obedience. Because you know what? You can say you believe something, but you really only believe it if you follow it and you obey it. Because there actually actually is no faith without obedience. You can't just say, well, I believe it in my heart and that should be enough. Nope. Because our our deeds will follow what we really believe. Now, in the the natural, you know, sometimes that, that can be, those things, those beliefs, that obedience can be suspended somewhat. It doesn't mean we don't believe it, right? For instance, the speed limit laws that we have in this this state and this in this country. You know, we, we can believe that those are probably pretty good laws. You know, they're, they're, they're designed to help keep us safe. And I think we'd all agree that it's not wise. It wouldn't be good for somebody to be going 90 mile an hour down Washington Road. You know, somebody's gonna get hurt. And so we're, we're good with that. We understand that and we probably try to follow that for the most part. But you know, there are probably times that we suspend our adherence to that belief system. Probably nobody in this room, but I'm sure somebody somewhere has. You know, or maybe, maybe you, you've done it because you just, you're in a situation where you're in a hurry and you're just thinking, you know, I just, I got to get there, you know, and I mean, I got to get to Chick-fil-A before the rush or I'm going to be in the drive through forever. You know, we just can't do those things. Um, good thing is you'd never do that on a Sunday because they're closed, right? So we suspend sometimes, even though we believe the, the, the cause of it and the, the legitimacy of it, but you know, in our faith, it doesn't work that way. We can't, we don't suspend our obedience to God's word because we're in a situation that, that where we're in trouble or, or we just think, well, at this moment, I just got to figure things out. I got to do things on my own. So I'm going to suspend my adherence to God's word. In fact, it's just the opposite. When we're going through a trial or a tribulation or struggles in our life, that's when we need to even be more adhering to God's word, right? That's when we need to be really looking at his word saying, okay, I want to make sure I'm, I'm following what I really say I believe because it's where the rubber meets the road. And if we really want God to help us in those situations, it's important that that's where we're going and what we're doing. Look at James chapter two, verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. What we do reveals what we believe. And it's time for us today, this morning's a good time, this afternoon's a good time for us to say, ask ourselves, what do I believe? Because what you believe is exposed and revealed by what you do during the week. 
And we need to be honest with ourselves. And it, like I said, it's not enough to say, well, I believe in my heart. You know, I, I, I believe the word of God. I believe the principles. But if we're not living it, it doesn't, we're contradicting ourselves. Because, you know, belief, faith, it does start in the heart, but it's revealed in our hands. It's revealed in what we do. It starts there, but it doesn't finish there. That's, that's the birthplace, but it has to produce. It produces fruit in our life in one way or another. What we believe produces fruit. And you see, obedience is tough sometimes because it's hard to trust someone with the things we really care about, isn't it? To even trust God with the things we care about can be difficult. Because I think there's times we think that things are safer with us. You know, my dreams, my future, my hopes, those things are safer with me because I'm the one that really cares about it. And I don't know if I trust somebody else with it or even with God, God with it, if he's going to really do what I think I need to have done in my life. But, you know, we kind of contradict ourselves in that, too, because if you look at it, look at like with a with your money. OK, all, most of us, probably all of us, the huge majority of our money is in the bank. Right. Our cash money, it's in a bank somewhere. I don't we're not stuffing our mattresses or stuffing our stock drawers with all of our cash. Right. We're putting it in the bank. Why do we do that? Because it's safer in the bank, isn't it? It's a lot safer in the bank. If I've got all my money in cash and it's in my house and I have a fire and it's burned up, it's gone. Or if somebody robs my house and takes my cash, it's gone. But you know what? In the bank, it's federally insured. You know, when you hear on the news that somebody robbed a bank and it's your branch, all right. I mean, you hate it, but at least I know they didn't take my money because my money's insured. It's safer there than it is with us. But for some reason, with our life and with our hopes and our dreams and our future, we think it's safer with us than it is with Jesus. You know, you might think, well, my, my marriage, I'm, I'm the one that really has to care about my marriage and work on it or it's just not going to. Nobody else is going to care about my marriage like I do. Nobody else is going to care about my finances like I do. Like, I've got to hold on to those tightly. Like, I know the Bible says to, to give, and it'll be given back to you. I know the Bible talks about generosity, and I know it talks about tithing, but I, I just can't do Like, I've I got to take care of this. Like, I'm the one that's going to have to pay my bills, so i got to take care of this. And, you know, for, for those of you that are single and wanting to get married and thinking, like, I, I can't really give that to God because I, if I do, what if, what if he doesn't work it out for me that I get to get married? And I, I got to hang on to that because those are my dreams, you know, my, my future, my career, my job, my hopes, all the things in my life that, I, that I are so dear to me, it's, it's hard for us to give that up. But I'm here to tell you today that there is absolutely no safer place for you to put all those things than in the hands of Jesus. There is no safer place in all the universe than to put those in Jesus' hands. Because he's the one that really cares about it. He cares about it more than you do. You know, giving your kids over to Jesus, that's a tough one. And we'll say it all the time. Well, I know God loves my kids more than I do, but I don't think we always believe it. Sometimes we think we love them more. We don't. It does, it's a drop in the bucket compared to how much God loves your kids. And we can trust him with our children, with everything in our life, because he cares that much about us. And we can obey him and trust him in that. And before I move on to the next point, I want to say one more thing about obedience. Obedience is not about being perfect, okay? Nobody's in here like keeping track of how often we obey God and how often we don't obey God and how often we mess up. Obedience is not about being perfect. It's about just staying on the course. It's about, it's about being determined that we're going to continue to, to get better in obeying the words, the principles of God's word. We all mess up. We're all going to mess up. We mess up all the time. There's a reason that the Lord's prayer has us asking for forgiveness in it. We should be praying that every day. 
We as Christians should be praying and asking God to forgive us every day because you, you've done ridiculous things you didn't even realize you did. And it's okay to make mistakes. We just have to keep coming back to God saying, forgive me. And we know that he forgives us and we move on, right? God's not looking for elite people. He's looking for engaged people. People that are willing to just not get derailed because of a mistake they made or because, well, I'm just not good enough. God's saying, no, that's, that's why I came. That's why I died. My grace is sufficient. My grace is the, the ocean of my grace. You're not even, you're just dipping a little bit out of it. I got plenty for you. Just keep coming back to me. Amen? All right, so the second one, the second test question that we have here is, are you expectant? Are you expectant? Not to be confused with, are you expecting? We don't want to know if you're having a kid. Well, we do, but you don't have to reveal that till you're ready. So, do you expect him to be faithful? Do you expect him to bless you, to come through for you in your life? Are you expectant? Where are you at in your journey of faith in the area of expectancy? Would you say maybe you're cautiously optimistic? Because I'm here to tell you today, there is not a really a, a good place in our walk of faith to be cautiously optimistic. That's not what gets God's attention. You know who likes when we're cautiously optimistic? Your enemy. He likes that. Because cautiously optimistic is basically means I'm, I'm just skeptical. It means I'm, I got doubt. I'm kind of... I'm kind of peeking around the corner once in a while to see if God's doing anything. You know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but I don't really know. I'm not going to really throw myself out there and, and believe it. I'm just going to be cautiously optimistic. That, that to me looks like we're basically crossing our arms in the back and waiting and seeing. It's the wait and see approach in our faith. There, there's no place for that in our faith, church. There's no place for us to be cautiously optimistic. We should be expectant for God to do the things in our life that he has told us he's going to do. Look at James chapter one, verses six to eight. It says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So that's, this tells me that if we're, we're having the wait and see approach and we're doubting, that God's basically saying, you're not going to get anything because you're double-minded. What, what, what gets God's attention is when we're expectant, when we're believing for great things from him. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the great faith chapter, it says, now faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. That's what faith looks like. Not cautiously optimistic. It's to be certain of the things we can't see. It's to, it's to go the next level past hope. Hoping is like, I hope, but faith is saying, yes, yes, God, I'm believing you. I believe you for this. I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to believe your truth, and I'm going to live my life as if I believe your truth. Now, I'm going to say something today, and I want you guys to hear me, because I know that expectancy is tough for us, especially if we've had disappointment. But it is very good and very healthy for us in our relationship with Jesus to be expectant. That is a very, very good thing. It's not naive. It's not a, one of those fools rush in type things. It's okay. And if people that are expectant in their relationship with God get on your nerves, the problem is with you. Because we should be expectant because we are missing out on some of the blessings of God in our life because we're not expecting anything from him. Because we've expected before, we've had, that, we've had that high anticipation, and something didn't happen the way we thought it should have. And so rather than say, okay, God, I missed you on that one. Let's keep moving. We say, well, nope, can't do it. 
God didn't come through for me the way I thought he was supposed to, so I'm done. So I'm still going to, you know, still going to do this whole Christian thing, but I'm going to stand in the back and I'm going to have my arms crossed and I'm just going to wait and see. That's, you're missing out. You're basically sealing your fate when you do that. Because James tells us you shouldn't expect to receive anything from God in that situation. Expectancy is the birthplace of miracles in our life. It's the fertile ground for miracles in our life. And so you believed one time and it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. Okay. Well, I missed it. Let's move on. Let's go to the next one. Now, God, it's not going to derail me and cause me not to expect things from you now. Because if I'm not going to expect anything from you, what am I doing? This isn't some game we're playing, right? This isn't a club that we have here on Sunday mornings. We're, We're living a life of faith. And you know what? We're flawed. We're finite. We're human beings. So there's times we're going to expect things and it's not going to happen the way we wanted it to. And it's not going to make sense to us. And we're not going to understand it. Well, you know what? You pick, up, you pick yourself up and you keep going. Because God's that good. And if, we, if, if the devil can get us to stop being expectant, he is one. He is one. You've just become an anemic person that's just trying to get through life. You know, anybody like to be in a marriage where you don't have any expectation of your spouse? It's very mechanical. It's, it just, it doesn't feel good at all. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to have, live with expectation. Like, okay, this is, this is what, this is what the Bible says. Either I'm going to expect it or I'm not. If I'm not, I might as well put this up in the cupboard with some of the other books I never read. We are, we are meant to live with expectation in our life. Don't let disappointment derail you. And you know, the most expectant people, the people that that live with that expectation that God's going to move, he's going to do this, are not the ones that have never had disappointment. In fact, usually they're the ones that have had the most. They've learned, they've just learned that my, my expectancy of God is not based on necessarily what he has or hasn't done for me in the past. It's based on his word, who he is. And that's okay to stand on that and live your life in such a way that exemplifies that. All right, and so the last one is, are you looking for your next step? The last question in this litmus test. Are you looking for your next step of faith? You know, we talk about next steps a lot here at New Hope. And it's oftentimes, it's, it's coupled with talking about, you know, your next step, even here at the church. Like maybe it's baptism. Maybe you just got saved, need to get baptized. Maybe it's going on a weekend encounter. Maybe it's joining the dream team. Um, maybe it's joining a connect group. Maybe it's leading a connect group. We talk about all those next steps. And I know sometimes it can, it can maybe even come across like, ah, oh, you're just trying to get more out of me. You're trying to get as much from me as you can. And could, nothing could be further from the truth. We believe in next steps because we believe that we all have a next step in our life. And you, I believe you have a next step here at New Hope and you have a next step in your, in your daily routine as well. And we absolutely have a next step in our life of faith. You know, how many of you know, we've all been given a measure of faith. That's what the Bible tells us. Every one of us is born with a measure of faith. But we also know that we're not all at the same place in this journey of faith, are we? We're all at different places. Some of you might have just got saved at Christmas time. And some of you, this may have been your 60th year that you were saved at Christmas. You've been doing this a long time. No one's expecting those two people to have the same level of faith and even the same level of reckless faith in their life because you have to grow to get to the places that God would have you get to. And so we're all at different levels, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a next step. 
Whatever you're, wherever you are, there's always the next step. The end of the road isn't until we're standing face to face with Jesus. So as long as there's a road, there's a next step on that road for each and every one of us. We never get to the place where we don't have a next step. And it doesn't matter how new you are, experienced, or how weak you think your faith is, there's still a next step. The next step for you might be something very, very simple. It might just be inviting somebody to church. It might just be sharing a Bible verse with somebody in your family. It, it might be something very, very simple, but we all have a next step in our life. And I'm here to tell you today that sometimes your next step should scare you to death. It should terrify you. If, if your faith in walking this life out is never scaring you, then you're not doing it right. And I'm saying that with love, but I'm here to, I'm telling you today, if you're never scared in your faith, if you never have those moments where you think, Ooh, God, I hope you're there, I hope you come through, then you're, you're not doing it right. We are not called to be comfortable. Believe me, I've read through the Bible many times, I look for it every time I read it, <laughs> and it is not there. And if you found it, please tell me, because I, we'll preach it every week. Because <laughs> that, that would be wonderful. But I can tell you, it's not there. Because we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to always be taking our next step always progressing in our relationship and in our, in our level of faith in our life. You know, if, you, if, you have, if you're a new Christian, I'm not asking you to have reckless faith today, but that should be a goal of ours to get to that place where we have that kind of faith that looks reckless to the world. And it should scare us sometimes. No matter where you're at, no matter, no matter how long you've been doing this, you know, Pastor Bones in his 70s, this next step he's taking in his life, I'm sure is scaring him. I'm sure he's thinking, man, I hope Reagan doesn't screw this up. <laughs> he hasn't told me that. I'm assuming by his facial expression sometimes. But that, I'm sure it's scary for him. He's going into a whole different thing and he's in his 70s. So there's never a time where we just think, oh, I've arrived. I don't have to grow anymore, take any more steps. I'm good to go. And you know, when I took the, the position that I have right now as the executive pastor here about five and a half years ago, it was a very scary step of faith for me and my family. You know, we had had a business, we were doing well in our business, most of you know. And because of that, I had a pretty stout mortgage. My kids were in private school. We had, you know, we had pretty sizable amount of bills that we were dealing with every month, but it wasn't a big deal because I, we had this business, it was doing good. But when we decided, when we took this position and I sat down and I looked at the numbers, started crunching the numbers, it didn't matter how many times I crunched the numbers or which one I put in first, it didn't work out. The numbers never worked out. And some of you need to hear this today. Sometimes you don't need to crunch the numbers. In your walk of faith, sometimes you don't need to crunch the numbers. Sometimes you don't need to look as to whether or not it makes sense. And I'm telling you that as a pragmatist, I'm, I'm as pragmatic as they come. And so for me, sometimes that can be a struggle. I'm thankful to have a wife that's full of faith. That's like ready to give away the farm in a moment's notice for Jesus, you know, and she has challenged me in that way. And it's been wonderful, but there's times there's a place for the practical in our Christian life too. There's a place for it. It just doesn't get first place. Okay. We have to be led by God. We have to be led by
by what we feel like he's leading us to do. And, and, and if we don't do that, we miss out on so much of what God has for us because we're too busy crunching the numbers. Well, God, that doesn't make sense. If I do that, I'm going to be in the red. I can't tell you how many times in our business that we did things that we felt God was telling us to do that put me in the red. And one time I wasn't at a very good place and, and Joy, we had agreed to do something, give some money away. Joy was insistent. And I looked at the numbers and I said, mm, no way. There's no way. I won't be able to pay my bills if I do this. And we got into kind of an argument. And I said, you tell me one time in the word of God where it says that we can neglect our bills or, or go do something that goes against his word because we feel something else. And before the words came out of my mouth, I was reminded where God told Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. That didn't make any sense, did it? Wait a minute, Isaac's gonna be the son of the promise. You're gonna, you're gonna make my descendants more numerous than the stars through this kid. You want me to kill him? It didn't make any sense, but he went to do it. And you know what happened. So consequently, I ate some crow and I went ahead and did what we felt like the Lord was leading us to do and everything worked out perfectly. Sometimes we don't need to crunch the numbers. We just need to be willing to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. I don't know about you, but I want to have a level of faith in my life where the world looks at me and says that I'm nuts. Because that tells me I'm probably doing something right. They kind of think I'm nuts anyway. It might as well be for my faith, right? Do you want to get there? Do you want to have reckless faith in your life? Do you want to be someone that the world would look at and say, wow, man, that's, that's risky. That's impressive. I know I do. I believe you guys do too. One of the biggest struggles for us taking that next step in our walk with God is, the, is, is that we have a misunderstanding of the character of God and who he is. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, if, you know, if I just keep my nose clean and I'm a good person and I do my best, you know, God knows my heart. He'll bless me. I, the, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that I believe the word of God contradicts that. It's not about just being a good person and God knowing your heart and everything is just going to work out. He tells us that we will, we will do based on what we believe. And he even tells us, in fact, let me read uh, in James chapter one, another verse in James, verses two and three. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he goes on to say that perseverance has to finish its work so that you will be complete, not lacking anything. That tells me that testing is going to come, that God tests us. First Peter tells us that, the, that our, the tests are the genuineness of our faith. So we are tested in life. So God is, is constantly doing things to test us. It's not just us keeping our nose clean and trying to be a good person, but it's really stepping out in faith and trusting him and letting our perseverance finish its work so that we will be complete and not lacking anything. Does anybody want that in this house? I know I do. I want to be complete and not lacking anything in my life. We have to be willing to see and, and, and understand and receive the testing that God will bring in our life when we take those next steps. But it's so worth it because if I, if I got to persevere so that I will be complete and not lacking anything, then I say, bring it on. I'm ready. You can bring that into my life anytime you want, Lord. But the character of God is that he wants us to be willing to step out and take those next steps and always be looking to grow because that is where a lot of the, the miracles, the blessings, the, the, um, the him coming through in our life, that's where that comes from. It's kind of like stepping out is a little bit like uh, 
a greenhouse. You know, a greenhouse is a fertile place for, for plants to grow, but it also gets pretty hot. And that's what happens in our faith sometimes. If, we, if we're looking to take our next step, it may get hot sometimes. The testing may come and, and, and make us feel a little sweaty, but it's a really fertile place for growth. The greatest times of growth in my life is when I have stepped out and took, took these steps of faith in my life. When I, was, um, when I, when I stepped out and decided to go live in, in the Sahara Desert in West Africa for a year and go to a place where I knew nobody except a couple people that were going with me on a team, I stepped out, did, went to this third world country where it was a really, really difficult place to live. God met me in that place. And I can tell you that year, I had more growth in my relationship with him and my love for Jesus than I did any other year in my life. But it was because I didn't just try to keep my nose clean and be a good person. I actually took that step. And that's what he's asking us to do today too. He wants us to be willing to take those steps to grow in our walk with him. So as I close, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me today. And I wanna share one quick story out of the word. It's out of 2 Kings. So this was when the kingdom of Israel had already been divided. There was a king over Judah. It was Jehoshaphat and the king over Israel was Joram. And um, the king of Moab had revolted against the king of Israel. He was supposed to be providing him with things and he decided he's not going to do it. So they had to go to war against him. And um, the king of Israel asked the king of Judah, will you go with me? And he said, yes, I will. And, um, and they also got the king of Edom to go too. So there's three kings and three armies that, that went to go to Moab to fight this, this army in, in Moab. And they went through the desert. And on the way there, after about a week, they ran out of water. I don't know who was in charge of the water, but that guy would have got a tongue lashing because he did not bring enough. And they, were, they ran out and they're in the desert. And they said, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Here we are in the middle of the desert and we're going to die of dehydration. Like there's, there's nothing we can do. They're stuck because they're too far to go home and there's too far to, um, and they wouldn't have been able to fight because they didn't have any water. They were getting sick and dehydrated. So they brought Elijah in. Elijah happened to be there with them. And they brought him in and they said, Elijah, talk to God and ask him what we're supposed to do. And so Elijah prays, comes back to me, says, okay, the Lord says, I want you to dig some ditches in this valley here. Just get in there and dig ditches. And there's not going to be any rain. There's no river, but these ditches are going to fill up with water. Now that sounds ridiculous. Here they are. Their soldiers are running out of energy already. They're, they're trying to conserve as much energy as they can because they're about to go into a war. And God tells them, use the rest of the energy you got and dig some ditches. Even though no rain's going to come, you can just trust me, it's going to be fine. Now that sounds like crazy talk, doesn't it? But they did it. They obeyed. The soldiers went out. They dug these ditches. I don't know how long they had to dig, but I'm sure they had to dig for a while. Used up all the rest of their energy. The next morning, they wake up. The ditches are full of water. And I don't know how, you know, I would think that it would have been muddy water filling up ditches, but it wasn't because it was drinking water for them. So God, that was one of the miracles. And then on top of that, it says that the people of Moab, the king of Moab could see out over the valley. They could see that there was, there was some kind of liquid in that valley with these armies. And because of the way the sun was coming up, it actually reflected off of it, made it look like blood. So the king of Moab assumed that the two kings got mad at each other and fought themselves in that valley and killed each other. So he tells his army, okay, guys, we're going to go get the plunder. It's, it's already been taken care of. Let's go get it. And they went to strip these guys of all their stuff, which is what you would do in that situation. They got there. They were unsuspecting. When they got there, the armies were ready for them and destroyed them. And they won the battle. And when I, when I read that, I remember thinking, man, that's really 
crazy that, that God would have them step out in faith. They, it wasn't about just being good people. It wasn't even about being God's people. They had to step out in faith and do something that God told them to do. They had to dig ditches. They had to work their tails off to dig these ditches that didn't make any sense whatsoever. No sense. And God, because they did their act of obedience, they took their step and they were expectant. God came through and not only did he provide their water, he helped them defeat the enemies because of their obedience, because of what they did, that water actually looked like something that caused the enemy to be defeated. That's what God wants to do in our life. That's what he wants to do in your life and my life. But there's always, in our walk of faith, there's always going to be a step of obedience from us. The miracles we're looking for, the, the provision we're looking for, the healings we're looking for, the relationship restorations we're looking for, they're always on the other side of obedience. They're always on the other side of expectation. They're always on the other side of taking that step. God just requires us to be willing to take our step so that he can come through on our behalf. That's what he does. We have to count the cost. Our faith has to cost us something, right? So today I wanna wanna pray over us. For all of you, I'm gonna ask you to come to the altar and we're just gonna, I'm gonna pray over everyone at this altar that wants to come up. If you wanna take a step today and you just wanna say yes, I want, I want to be more expectant in my life. I wanna, I wanna take my next step of faith, whatever that is. I wanna obey you in a greater way, God. And I wanna have reckless faith. I just wanna, I wanna go to that next level with you. You're worth it. If, if that's you, if you wanna make that proclamation, I just want you to come to the altar so we can pray over you this morning or this afternoon. Just come on up. Don't wait to see if everybody else is gonna do it. If that's you, I just want you to come up because I believe there's something about it when we take a stand and we say, yes, that's what I want. We proclaim it, we believe it, and God will do it.